we are in a race. The race is against time. I've been a rich man and I have been a poor man and I choose rich every time. Don't be one of those people 20 years from now are gonna be walking around in a nine to five job, miserable and angry and bitter. Welcome to Sound Conversations. Welcome to today's edition of Sound Conversations. My name's James Bosinski, and I'm here today with Evan Westcott, owner of Westcorp Construction. Evan, hello. How's it going? Not too bad. How's your How's your week starting off? Uh, starting off with a bang. Busy, busy. Busy, busy. Well, that's uh, that's a lot of what I wanted to talk to you, uh, talk with you about today. Um, so I appreciate the time. Um, and, and setting aside your, your schedule for, for this conversation. Um, why don't you just start off uh, and just tell us a little bit about Westcorp and, and how it came to be and, and kind of uh, where you guys operate today. Um, be a good starting point. All right. Well, I uh, started uh, Westcorp Construction in, I think, or the previous version of Westcorp's Construction, I should say, about um, after high school, really, out of a, uh, a a need to have income, I guess, uh, and work through school, so um, started doing uh, you know actual construction, hands on, uh, for years, about ten years, and then uh, slowly transformed into a more of a GC role and and management side of things, and so uh, we've been in the construction business, I think, twenty years now, and you know. I don't know if it's the best business to be in, but currently in Seattle, it's not a bad place to be um, for the market and you know the need, uh, the all the construction and everything that's happening around town via residential and commercial, multifamily, all of it seems to be booming at the moment. So, well, you make an interesting point there. I mean, I can't say from experience that the Seattle area has been different than other parts of the country, but I can say that looking back at the last what 10 20 years or so that we've certainly seen our our peaks and and valleys so to speak in the in the real estate market how how has that affected your business and i think more more importantly how have you managed to evolve i mean you and i have, have known each other for a long a long time and there are certain trends but you know it seems like in a in a in a period of a few short years we can go from you know you can't you can't get the jobs done fast enough to trying to do things at cost just to keep your your guys from from going somewhere else so um, yeah the the 2008 re- great recession or whatever they've uh, coined it as was was a tougher time i went from having f- i think about 50 guys 50 employees in 07 early 08 to the crash happening what the October 08 and and tumbling down and kind of I remember maybe 2010 ish having like maybe six employees five six employees a couple key guys and it was skinny I mean we were able to survive and make money and you know continue forward just because I think uh, we you know just the we're still winning we were still winning at that point in time we're still doing work we're still making money therefore winning but you know on a smaller scale right <laughs> so I think that's the never give up kind of mentality is uh, what's been great for me and uh, not, you know, breaking, not breaking down, panicking, 
you know, it's just life goes on. And, uh, but recently the last, what, five years since about 2013, things have, uh, obviously picked up and now it's the, uh, it's the opposite problem that I had in 08, 09, 2010 is how do you, uh, keep employees or how do you find new employees um, in the construction field there is no workforce really you know there's no pool workforce pool uh, locally in Seattle I mean we've got guys competition whether it be um, residential construction guys custom home builders that'll just pull up onto a job and offer guys five ten bucks an hour more than they're making which is painful because we're you to know, just leave right then at a leave or to come work for them, whether it be, I don't know if I, I'm not there. If I was, they would have those other guys have a bad day, but uh, <laughs> the, the, you know, basically yes, to, to drop their bags and, and walk over, whether it be that day, the next day or next week. But we've been in a spot uh, with West Corp of about 25 ish employees for a long time. Whenever I get more than that, it becomes, I feel like I become a fire a firefighter and it's like what's the biggest fire of the morning or the day and I've got to run to that and deal with that and everything else falls to the wayside uh, so I'm, I don't want to have a bunch more guys but I at least want to keep the guys we got because they're good people we have good people that work with us we, you know we've had bad people or bad seeds and you know one bad person becomes kind of poison in the punch bowl if you will and causes all even the good guys to start having issues or not be productive and stuff so it's a challenge, you know, managing, uh, managing guys and keeping guys right now in the, uh, Seattle construction market. Now, do you attribute that to just the huge boom that we're in, or do you think there's some deeper seated problems? I mean, I don't want to go down the, the, the whole issue of immigration and, and everything that's happened politically, you know, happening politically with the, the current, you know, president and so forth. But, um, I mean, what's uh, what's kind of the range uh, that of uh, pay? Or is there better jobs elsewhere, or is it just there's just a lot going on, and we're gonna? It's just a natural part of the cycle. I just think we're well. I don't know. I'm not an economist, but I think right now part of the cycle we're in is if it's not peaking, it's got to be getting close. Although I keep hearing that there's you know four thousand people a month or whatever the number is moving to Seattle and. You know, I've developed a couple apartment projects in uh, in Seattle, and uh, they filled up a lot faster than uh, anyone expected them to, which is a good thing. You know, that was a check in the wind column. But um, the I just think there's not enough labor, there's not enough workforce, there's not enough people that want to work with their hands. Everybody wants to be white collar and top dog, and you know, being a being a skilled trade person, whether it be a carpenter, a plumber, an electrician, you know, someone who's out there pulling wire, cutting wood, building things physically. People aren't as proud of that as they used to be maybe 50 years ago, you know, our parents' generations. So do you think it's the, the perception is it's kind of a substandard career, right? You're, you're... It, I feel like a lot of the guys that I work with are in the construction business, not because they set out to be a carpenter or electrician or whatever, but because they fell into it for whatever reasons in their, you know, in their life, whether for the better or worse, or whether they were scraping bottom and they just threw some mailbags on and went to work or whether they just truly love it. There are some guys out there that are uh, excellent carpenters that some that work for us. 
and uh, they love their jobs, you know, and they're doing what they love every day and they're happy. But the bottom line is in Seattle right now, there's not enough people to do the amount of work that's happening. And the other issue is I think a lot of the younger generation, you know, the maybe the, I guess the millennials as they call them, which even we're on the kind of outskirts of. Sure. Uh, I think they don't really, they, there seems to be a lot of entitlement out there. We've had employees come in and like, they just sit there and want to do nothing and be paid to do nothing and not being proactive of, uh, you know, grabbing the bull by the horns and making things happen. Or, you know, if you don't have something to do, go sweep the floor. I tell all my guys, hey, I won't ever ask you to do anything I won't do. Bad news for them is there's almost nothing I haven't done on a construction site, whether it's, you know, cleaning up the uh, broken sewer line and being knee deep in some stuff that smells real bad or, you know, sweeping the job site. I've done it all. So, Right. I kind of expect the guys to, and I think that's important to instill in the uh, employees is like, look at man, you're doing, you know, I won't, if, if the boss wouldn't ask you to do something that he wouldn't do or hasn't done, then I think that's a, uh, you know, I think there's a level of respect that's earned there. And, uh, and guys want to stay like the guys that are serious and have families and, you know, need to work to pay the bills. Um, you know, I think they'd rather be at a company like ours you know, where they're respected and, the, you know, the, they don't get asked to do weird stuff or people freak out and throw stuff at them. I've been on job sites where contractors lose their noodle and start throwing stuff out the windows and throwing, and they're crazy guys. And we try to avoid that. <laughs> as much as possible, anyway. Yeah. Along those lines, tell me a little bit about this, you know, people call it like the entrepreneurial spirit and, and everything else. I mean, you and I went to the same high school and, and you know, the people that aren't in jail or dead, um, there's all kinds of attorneys and CPAs and other professionals and people, you know, working for Amazon. And I mean, you know, doing really successful type type of careers. Uh, what what drove you to, to really want to be your own boss? I mean, certainly uh, running a business is, is difficult. Um, I think you're just insane for being in the construction business just with all the risk and <laughs> leverage and i mean uh you know i know you told me about uh situations where people have fallen off trestles and sued you and and all these different headaches like what makes it worth it for you and 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 what what is it um about you or, or other business owners that um that really drive you to want to take on that that level of, of risk i don't know maybe we're just a little crazy I think for me, I'm in the construction industry because it was a uh, a means to income during college. I worked all through college. I skipped the whole fraternity party session. Don't get me wrong. I had moments or weekends where we <laughs> partied, but I had many more weekends where I worked all weekend um, to just pay the bills. And I came out of college with zero debt. You know, my parents helped me for the first year. They paid for the first year. I went to central Washington and then back to the community college BCC working and uh, the only job I've ever had was working for my dad when I was in high school in that first year of college at central I'd come back on the weekends or on Thursday night work a day or two Friday Saturday or something to you know make a little spending money and then after that my dad went broke in the uh, dot-com bust of 2000 and it was kind of like you know okay you're in the deep end of the pool now Evan it's either sink or swim right and so for me I just like I enjoy it. I like to go to work. I like the challenge, whether it be, I, I honestly, I like physically building stuff. I ha don't do very much of it now, but I mean, I've got a, and we're, this isn't a video thing or I'd show you my finger, but I got a finger here with a chunk of metal in it from framing a house that's still there when it gets real cold out. I can feel it and it tells me. 
um, along with, you know, a barrage of other things, knee problems and stuff from being a tile setter for a period of time. And I enjoy doing it, but a lot of people, you know, they don't want to get out there and work hard or they're scared. It's probably, that's probably, it's not that they maybe don't want to, it's they're scared, I think. And for me, it's never been an issue. Like, what if this doesn't work out? Well, shit, if I don't go try, I can't win. Right. Sure. I mean, if the if the Powerball lottery is five hundred billion dollars, you can't win if you don't spend a buck. I'm not going to go spend a thousand bucks on tickets. I'll buy one. Right. You know. <laughs> well, if I don't get off the couch and go try to do a job or try to get a job, uh, get a job, you know, for hire, then I, I, I can't win. If so, but I will say I've done probably a hundred every for every successful project I've had. There's probably been a hundred run-ups or attempts that have ended in failure, right? Or like sure. we tried to buy a building to flip and then it, uh, you know, there was a hundred other offers or 20 other offers and we weren't even close. Or I couldn't get the money partners to make a decision, you know, to, to I couldn't get the support in time. And right now that's a big problem. If you're not a cash buyer, you're weak. <laughs> and right. uh, um, so I think, I think fear I think a lot of people, and I don't, I, I, maybe I'm missing this piece because I don't really get worried about it. If I was talking to a buddy last week and I bought a bunch of this cryptocurrency stuff uh, earlier this last year. And for me, it was like, well, if I don't buy it, I can't be on the train and, and possibly win, right? It's going to win. It just may take longer than everybody thinks, but it sounds like something good. Right. And other guys are like, how do you do that? I'm so scared of losing a thousand bucks. And I don't know. I just, I, I guess I don't think about that. When I do stop and think like right this moment, well, shit, maybe I'm going <laughs> to lose some money on some of these. But I think all in all, I think you just got to keep pressing forward and uh, you never know where the opportunity is going to come from. And if you're not out there in the game, actively participating or trying to play, whether it be uh, trying to get a job, whether a job for hire or trying to get the next job project for hire or the next property to buy, flip, house, whatever, uh, if you're not out there playing, you can't win. That's kind of my view. And I think a lot of people are scared to play. They're scared of losing, so they just don't play. Right. To your point, then. They can't win because they never play. Yeah, <laughs> it's a guaranteed lose then. Exactly. Um, so you talked about crypto. What are some of, um, I mean, I've always felt like you've seen a trend in something. I mean, I think there was a point there where you were actually thinking about being a stockbroker. Um, on the side. Yeah, maybe, it, was the, but... it was the only job interview I've ever had in my life. I've never had a job other than being self-employed or working for my dad while I was in high school and the first year of college. My dad was a general contractor. He built spec houses and he went high on the highs and low on the lows. And <laughs> well, so, you know, but I learned a lot from him. And uh, on the uh, stock market thing, yeah, in 09, I think it was, for Morgan Stanley, I went and had an interview and they were like, you're hired. <laughs> And then they didn't want to pay me very much. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, just like, you know, I, I guess what I'm trying to, to help the, the listeners understand a little bit more is just, you know, how you ended up like if you could kind of have that out of body experience where you kind of step back and look at this this creation that you have called Evan Westcott. Right. From, you know, you've had apartment buildings, you've got uh, daycare, you've got a construction business and you got all these different different things how do you think i mean how did that really all come about is it just you see an opportunity and you, and you go for it and 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 try to gauge hey this is what i'm willing to commit to this in time or dollars or whatever else and um or is it more strategic about 
um, for instance, diversifying, right? If we were to go through another um, great recession, uh, financial crisis type thing, and, and you know, you're back down to, to five guys, yet now you've got a wife and three kids and, 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 and all these things you got to support. I mean, were you thinking about diversifying your businesses or was it just kind of whatever the day brought? I think after the downturn and dealing with some being forced to deal with clients that are uh, a challenge being, you know, emotionally or just like freaking out on you, you know, hard to work with clients. Everybody's had them, you know, whether they're, you know, selling them a meal at a restaurant or, you know, building their house in my case, uh, having to go through that a few times and having to stick with it, not being able to just be like, screw this, you're crazy. I'm not working with you because you got to pay the bills. Um, that kind of led to like, I got to do something besides construction because construction, I'm always hired by somebody. Granted, I'm my own boss, but I'm working for somebody all the time. And that kind of led to the, well, the only other ways to diversify either in other businesses or, or real estate. When I was in college, I flipped houses, you know, every once or twice a year I'd buy and just at night or weekends. I'd work during the day, I'd go to night school for, this is for about three or four year period of time. And then all the other time in between be working on the house flip and it, the market was going up. This is, this is like, oh, 2003, four, five, six, mm -hmm. somewhere in that realm. And so it, rising tide floats all boats. The real estate market was going up and yeah, I, I probably could have just bought the houses and not flipped them and sold them and made money a year later. But, um, I learned a lot along the way of how a home is put together, you know, how to build them or how to tear them apart and put it back together you know, most efficient, you could efficient way possible. That being said, I'm getting off topic a little bit here. Um, no, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's interesting, right? Cause I mean, you're not really doing a lot of house flips now. I mean, they're kind of coming back into to favor, yeah. right? But HGTV killed that. Yeah. <laughs> when anybody <laughs> when, could do it. <laughs> yeah. When all the, uh, when your, your friend's moms decided to come out of being a uh, stay at home mom or a part-time working mom to be house flippers, and then they start buying stuff to flip it. That was kind of the, I feel like that was the end. And I only speak from experience. Like s several guys I know as moms were trying to buy houses. Sure. And uh, we won't name any names, but they, <laughs> they and, and then, and I, they probably did fine, you know, but everybody started paying more. So, the, you know, you make your money on most deals on the buy. Or you, you make as much money on the buy as you do on the reposition and sell. So you got to buy stuff right. If you way over pay for it, then best case is, you know, you're going to get out with your pants on or, you know, or live there or live there is in my case. But, um, so, <laughs> <laughs> well, <clears throat> but when you're in a market like this, if you're looking for a home, you know, you got to live someplace. And if the market's high, like I was talking to some people this weekend at an event and they're, you know, all of us were sitting there like, shit, if we had to buy our houses today in our neighborhood, we wouldn't be living in this neighborhood. We'd be moving someplace farther away because we couldn't afford it. So they're kind of stuck in a way in the in the city. I'm, I'm in Bellevue, downtown Bellevue, and the prices have gone up so rampantly over the last three, four years that you can't afford to, even if you sold and you made a million dollars or some large amount of equity, the new houses are $3 million. Right. <laughs> and so your mortgage would double, you know, and I, I definitely, I've been house broke or house poor in the past. Um, my parents oftentimes were because my dad always, always said, buy as much house as you can. You know, it's, it's the cheapest money you can borrow and most secure and houses go up most of the time. They have periods where they go down. We're lucky in Seattle because they're, they're, you know, off the rockers and going straight up. But, 
Um, I don't know. I don't like being at that house poor thing and having heavy payments is, is heavy weight. When things slow down, it gets real heavy, real fast. And the, that weighs on the mind at night. So, uh, but back to the diversification where I kind of got off topic is, uh, all the deals I've done or put together have been a product of just work, the day-to-day workings of construction. So I kind of feel like in any industry or any life, you know, career path, you're working, you're, you're like a mountain climber. You're climbing up a mountain or a trail, you're hiking, you know, and you're just cruising along every day. That's your job. You're doing it. You're doing a good job. You're working hard. And then there's points where you get like a quantum leap or an opportunity to, instead of go, you're, you're at the edge of the, the first mountain, say, and you're looking down and, oh, I got to walk all the way down to that lake to get back up to that next peak. So you got to go down a little bit, which, you know, is harder on the knees and less fun. And before you go back up and, you know, when you're climbing and you're making money, it feels good. Oh, we're going up, we're going up, we're making more. And so once in a while, it seems like you get an opportunity. And for me, those have all come through just working, doing the day to days, like continuing to hike up the mountain every day. And then all of a sudden, oh, here's these people. There's a scenario, whether it's a project, a deal, uh, the preschool, for instance, like there was two partners we were working for. And the, the one was kind of a goofball and the other people were awesome and, and they had a falling out. And so one part, they parted ways. So the partners that stayed said they needed another partner. They didn't have enough money to finish it on their own. Well, they owed us money. We're the contractor. <laughs> so there's the logical partnership. We were the first right. ones to, uh, it was just the right place at the right time, I guess. And that's been a good business. I still don't run the preschool. I understand it. I don't think I could be a good preschool director or manager. I just, you know, I love my kids and I like hanging out with them. But if I was around kids all day, every day, I'd probably, you know, I'd, I'd poke my eyes out. And... Yeah, it would be, it'd be tough. <laughs> so, uh, that, that one, and then from one worked out really well. And then they, the partners wanted to continue to grow the business. Okay. I'm, I'm all for it. Um, cause it doesn't really take a chunk out of the day to day for me. And then, you know, started exploring, how do we pay for this next school? Cause we were both out of money. You know, we spent a, almost a million dollars, I think, building the first school all in by the time you have your payroll, everything like, cause you need a couple months of operating capital and you add all that up, it's a lot of money. And then it started and it, it you know, money started coming back in after about 15 months. It takes a little while to go from zero, zero students to full. You can go from zero to 70% full or something pretty quick. But it's that last, the filling up those last slots, which are sometimes odd days, Tuesdays and Thursdays, or, you know, they're not the days that the person coming in wants to sign up. At the first, you're totally open and they just, what do you want? Time. Okay, here you go, you know? Now, and then when you start filling those voids, it uh, it takes a little longer. But but then we got that first one, the first school full. And uh, uh, again, I'm kind of going in depth on the preschool here, but uh, we got the first school full and it... Uh, it turns out like we had a waiting list that was longer than the enrollment list. So it's like, well, we're onto something. We're doing something right because there's more people that want to come to the school than are actually in the school. And, uh, you know, let's do it again. And so we so there you go. started exploring some loans and we went down the SBA road and that was an experience. So that's, that was going to be the, the next question I, I had is, is how do you, I mean, you said being in the right place at the right time. I mean, I always think of that, well, you can't really control the time, right? So you got to make sure you're in the right place all the time, or at least as much as possible. But when it comes to raising capital, I mean, you mentioned SBA loan, but 
uh, you know, I know you've had some success uh, you know, getting money from other private investors that, that believe in you. How did that, like, how do you go about that? I mean, do you just go find the richest guy you know and ask him for money? Like, that probably won't work very well. <laughs> you just show up, start asking. They, I think for me, it's the same way I got the preschool. Day-to-day business, uh, some, all pretty much the investors have either watched us build something or do something and it, and it be a success or we built something for them and they're like wow these guys are good you know i'm giving myself a pat on the back right now but usually money guys aren't as good at construction or management or other things right they're good at finance and they they manage their money and they do a good job at it but they need somebody when especially the bigger they get they need more people to help manage things so Again, uh, one of the big money capital partners we have, we, uh, we built their office out in Bellevue. It was just a TI project, tenant improvement, and kind of became friends. And, you know, just I, I started like sending some deals over. Hey, I think this could happen or that could happen. And that's another point. Like everybody, people get uh, emotional about deals. They're like, oh, this is the deal. I got to do this deal, whether, you know, whatever the deal is. Uh, and they get emotionally tied into it and they have to have it and then they overpay or they do something that they shouldn't do because they're emotional. They couldn't control their emotions. It's basically the stock market. I mean, you got to see this, like, you know, panic selling Friday, like what it dropped 666 points, which I thought was a weird number because it's like the devil number, right? 665.75. What what did did Trump program in to make that happen? (laughs) But, um, anyway, um, back to the topic is, uh, you got to be able to walk away. You gotta like, like, when I'm approaching a deal, you got to kind of have like your number and your, in, in your, your peak. And if you get there, you got to just be like, well, I'm out of this one. It's too expensive. And on to the next one, there's always another deal. There's always another opportunity. Some of them may be not as good as the one you just walked away from or didn't get. And, and oftentimes the next one's better, you know, or you take what you learned through doing the due diligence on the one you missed and, uh, or walked away from and, and apply that to the next one and it becomes a better deal. And so there's always another deal. Um, that was hard at first. I used to like get kind of riled up and like be pissed or upset or, you know, uh, ruffle my feathers, not getting deals to go through and work so hard and put all these hours in or late nights thinking about it or underwriting it. And then, and then it just not happened. Like, well, that was a lot of wasted time. But now, you know, there's always another deal. You just got to chalk that up. You're going to underwrite 10, 20, 100 projects or, or uh, scenarios to uh, to get one that actually hits. So looking back on the last 10 or 15 years as we, we kind of wrap up here, is there anything you would do differently if you could go back? I mean, not asking like if you had the knowledge necessarily today to know when to you know, get out of the market or in the market or, I mean, not that type of thing, but is there anything or any advice you might give to the, the Evan Westcott of the past, who's got the work ethic and, and, and drive, um, that wants to, to create something similar to what, what you're doing today? Good question. I don't know. I think I would, uh, try to instill that, you know, hard work pays off. Don't take no for an answer. Just keep trying, keep grinding away. And maybe just that the little analogy of the the mountain climbing, you know, as long as you're out there doing what you do, continuing to move forward, you know, other opportunities come and you're not going to get the first few or even maybe the first 20 because you don't know what to do with them. You know, you just have to kind of 
work through it and, and try to do it and then chalk it chalk up the failure to to a learning experience i'm not going to do that or next time i'm going to do it this way or you know try to make your approach smoother or quicker or whatever needs to change and the other thing is kind of i think at least in seattle is kind of buy and hold or maybe even anywhere on the west coast because i mean i don't know what's happening in the midwest or even the east coast i'm not familiar with it but i think the west coast is going to continue to flourish all these big tech giants and employers are in Seattle and they're more moving here. The richest guys I know, they're in real estate. They buy stuff that'll cash flow and it may not cash flow well and they just kind of hang on through the down. They don't panic sell uh, and they just kind of hang on and ultimately they've done really, really well. If I would have hung on to a few of the things I had <laughs> previously, you know, I'd, may, maybe I'd be in a better spot. Maybe not though, you know. Because sure. sometimes you have to sell something to take on the next opportunity. And so you, you talked about the West Coast and Seattle. I mean, is there anything in your mind that stands out as unique about the Northwest or something? You know, I know you, you like to do a lot of outdoor activities and, and so forth, but is there something special about the Northwest for you? I mean, as you continue to have success and your businesses start to be able to operate themselves more and more, would you would you ever move or do you? Do you like the area? I mean, I assume you like. Well, I'd like, like it, it to be but... sunny a little more often because the last few weeks have been pretty brutal on the uh, constant gray and rain, which is always a challenge. But I don't know. I mean, one of the things if I travel, get off an airplane and look around, when you get off in Seattle, you look around and there's development everywhere or there's a lake or saltwater or mountains. And so you got this little sliver of developable land called Seattle in between the water and the mountains. And they're not making any more land. They're not draining any lakes. Uh, any of the stuff that's a little farther out, a lot of times has been regulated out of development or to where you can't, it can't be really developed. It's, you know, been um, throttled by the local municipalities or EPA or whatever. And so I think that Seattle's a great place. And that kind of rings true for what San Francisco, LA, all of it. I mean, LA, you get off and there's not like, big old chunks of land here and there that you can go do it's there's an old building you could bulldoze and build a new building um and so i think with all the tech boom the amazon the microsofts the all these tech guys uh building their campuses having their campuses here that's brought a ton of money into seattle we're just lucky to be in the right place at the right time uh, and all that money seems to trickle down. I mean, even to our preschool business, you know, most of the families are somehow tied in to the tech people, whether they're a contractor or they work for a company who works for, develops some coding or software or whatever, some part of the food chain there in the, in the tech industry. And, you know, even down to the car dealerships and stuff that are locally and the businesses that are the retail businesses and restaurants. There's a lot of people that make a lot of money that have higher incomes and that can afford that. And I think it spreads out everywhere and it makes for a great economy like we're seeing. So would it be fair to say you don't see any major risks out there? I mean, other than just the opposite of what you just said, right? I mean, if Amazon moved or the area became undesirable for some reason, but, um, you know, whether you're an investor or you're looking to, to purchase a home to, to live in, um, you know, do you, do you see, you know, what would your advice be? I mean, is it? Well, I think if you're pushing a home to live in, then just, just buy it and, and live in it and enjoy it. And one thing on the home to, to live in, 
If you buy something, don't save the remodel till before you sell it to move. Remodel as soon as you can afford it because then you can enjoy it and it'll still be there to sell later. Right. So you know a lot of people that like buy a funky little house and they do a remodel six months before they're going to move and then they end up dealing with all it and they enjoy it for like not really at all because as soon as it's done, they're like, I'm out of here and sell it. So I've tried to do that, uh, remodel my home and, and, and enjoy it while you're there. And then when you sell it, you sell it. Um, I think on, uh, on the, the real estate front in Seattle, I mean, when things go, they go up a lot slower or they go down a lot faster than they go up, I think. And so if the stock market was to have a 5,000 point drop for whatever reason, something catastrophic, I think everybody would throw the brakes on buying a home, right? And it would kind of throttle the real estate market quickly. Would it crush the price? I don't think so because even in the last downturn, the prices really didn't go down that much. They just kind of flatlined. You know, they didn't go up. And I think a lot of the people that own stuff, and especially if it's Chinese money that's buying stuff, I, there's houses in my neighborhood that people don't even, they're never even one there. There's the grass is dead and three feet tall in mm -hmm. the summertime because no one's there to mow it or they don't care. They just bought it to have an asset outside of wherever they're, you know, China or wherever they're from, you know, outside of the U S and so those houses I don't think are probably going to sell even in a downturn. So the, the inventory or the potential inventory pool is even smaller than anybody thinks. Um, you know, my, myself, like, I don't think I would sell our house. I, if I could afford to build another house, I would, I would, you know, get it all built, dialed in, move into it. And I'd probably rent the house out that we live in because the market's still going up. It wouldn't be the highest return on investment, but it would be, uh, but it's still appreciating. Sure. And even if things go down, well, if the rent's more than the payment, so what? It's just a waiting game. You can't lose. Right. Right. You know, just maintain. I was going to ask you about your favorite project that you ever developed, worked on, built. I think my favorites are always the ones that I developed myself because I don't have to deal with a client and ask questions. So they're much Fair swifter and, and smoother. <laughs> uh, and then I'm capable of making decisions. Some people kind of go deer in the headlights and don't know what to do. They don't want to make a wrong decision. Kind of back to that fear of failure. Our lodge in Leavenworth would rack up there as one of the, one of my favorites it's called Namu Lodge in Leavenworth, Washington. And that one was, a favorite because I've always, you know, I, li I like Eastern Washington. I always kind of dreamed of having a place over there. And I figured out some way to get a money guy to put up the money for it as a business. <laughs> and it worked out. Right. It was a really cool house. It's still there. Uh, you can check it out, namulodge.com, uh, to see pictures of it. But it's still there. And it's a nightly rental lodge. Um, and it was just, it had all aspects of construction of a new project, new, new house build. Uh, it did not have a lot of the nightmare situations with, you know, the local municipalities or PUDs or power companies trying to get power to the site, like in Seattle or Bellevue, that cost a fortune and you can't get answers. It was much smoother than that, uh, smoother flowing. So it was a it was a easy project in ways, but it was a challenge because some of the means and methods of construction that were used were were pretty technical. So, um, but I think that one would probably be one of the faves. Well, we're about out of time, but I really appreciate you spending your, your Monday morning here. Thanks again. And uh, we hope to have you back here um, again soon. All right. Thank you guys.